Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. So this morning I'm going to introduce uh, Erica to you, not that she needs any introduction, but I I want to take a little bit of time to do something special uh, before she comes. Let's say our declaration like we mean it. This is our, what, second week, third week, third Third? Wow. Time flies. We're going to be in February before you know it. So here we go. You ready? I will constantly guard my heart and align it with God's holy word for everything I do flows from it. Amen. So uh, this series that we started um, on uh, the beginning of January is called Ship Shape. It's all about the shape, how God has shaped us, how he's designed us in different ways. The first week we talked about, he designed us for relationship. Relationship with God is called lordship. Relationship with people is called fellowship. God designed us to be part of a community, and I'm so excited that you're a part of our community. And if you're new to us today and you're looking for community, we pray that, you know, uh, if the Lord aligns you with us as uh, the heart of destiny, then uh, consider becoming part of, of our local fellowship. And then today... Um, Erica is going to come and she's going to lead us in the third message in this series because God designed us for discipleship. And for us at Destiny, uh, we want to be sure that you know what discipleship means when we talk about it in this house because there are disciples all over the the world. There are uh, Hare Krishna, they are disciples of a certain uh, people. They're Buddhists. They're disciples of Buddha. There are uh, disciples of Marx, uh, uh, Marxism and all of this, but we are disciples of Jesus. That He is our master. He's the one that we follow, and we're Christ followers. And for us, what does that mean in this house? It means that discipleship at destiny, when we speak of that, we talk about it as being a lifestyle of learning. Every person, wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus, there's always another level that you can go to. The scripture talks about deep calling unto deep. Well, God is constantly calling us to go deeper. That song that you guys sang, you know, he calls us out into the deeper places. And wherever you are in the Lord, I don't care if you have a PhD in theology. I don't, I don't care if you got your master's of divinity uh, from some Bible school. You have a deeper place that you can go to. So today, as uh, Erica is going to be preaching, I'd like for Shay and Erica to come to the stage because Erica has asked Shay and I to enter into a relationship with her uh, called mentorship. And so I just wanted to kind of set you up for what that looks like because mentoring Erica is going to be a process. We don't know what that season, how long that season is going to be, uh, whether it'll be a year, two years, six months. We don't know what that's going to look like. But Erica, I don't know if you know this about her, but she was a pastor before she came to Destiny. And she has a story to tell. It's not my story to tell, so I'm not going to tell it. She's going to maybe tell you that at some point in the future. 
what her story is and how she came to destiny. And she came to destiny and she just sat and she came for a time of healing in her life. And so at some point, she's going to step back out into that calling on her life. So I want to set this up for you well because I feel like our ministry team has said before that we don't feel like sometimes we've set things up well. And so that when we've made room in our fellowship for uh, people to kind of have room to do ministry, and when uh, they step out to do that ministry, some people have not understood, like, well, where did they go? What happened? And I'm just, I'll be honest with you, part of that is, has been our fault because we didn't really set it up for success, like, for you to know what happened. And part of it is their fault that they just left with, uh, with, with no, uh, you know, closure or goodbye. So we're trying to set this up healthy for you that there will come a day that all three of us will stand on this stage again. And we will say, today Erica is going to pastor at X Church and we are going to hopefully be in partnership with you. We're excited about that. So whatever that looks like. And so Erica is going to really kind of uh, uh, be, uh, so to speak, on our staff. We ain't going to pay you. But uh, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I'm just, uh, hey, got to set it up, right? No, but, but you know, she is, she is in, in, so to speak, is going to be a part of our staff. And she is going to have a leadership role. And in setting this up, you know, we've talked this through and we're like, Erica, we want you to understand that like you have a ministry. Like right now you minister outside of Destiny on a fairly regular basis. And so your ministry outside of Destiny, when you partner with us, that reflects on us. So, you know, we, we've had those conversations. And uh, I want you to understand that uh, in our mentorship uh, Shay and I are, uh, even though it's hard for me to swallow, uh, we're going to be your spiritual parents, so to speak. Like, I know it's hard to believe y'all, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm three years being able to be your daddy, you know. I, it blows my mind, but you know, Shay and I have been married for 33 years, and she's not but 36 years old. Blows my mind. So anyway, I'm, we're, we're, we're your spiritual parents. Could be your physical parents, but good Lord. But I tell you what, I respect this woman, honor her, and um, I want to let you know as a church that uh, there will be times that as we mentor you, uh, if, we, if Erica and I ever have to have a time that we need to do one-on-one -on -one discipleship together, we will never be alone in a place where we can't be seen. If we are ever having to do some one-on-one -on -one ministry, it will always be in a public place where we are surrounded by tens or dozens of people, like in a restaurant or something like that. But I just want you to know that like, uh, integrity is super important to us. Sanctification and purity is super important to us. It's important to mine and Shay's ministry, and it's important for your ministry in the future. So we've, we've got all kinds of boundaries set up for, for integrity. Um, and again, today, what's happening right now is a real-life example of, of discipleship. I'm telling you that I'm, this is no pat on the back to Pastor Rife, but there are many ministers 
that would not give you a place because they are threatened, they are insecure, and they are competitive. And their first question would be, when you leave, how great is your influence going to be and how many people are you going to take from me? And I've already said that the people are not my people, they're God's sheep. And I'm just a shepherd, and I just shepherd what God has assigned me to, and that's this location. And so when the day comes, I don't know your exact location when you step forward. I, uh, I want you to know it's, I, I'm going to sow into you what God has sown into me through one of my former pastors. And when the time came for me to step forward in ministry, he said, I'm not worried about how many people you'll take. He said, uh, how many people do you need? Like, how many people do you need us to sow into you to get your ministry started? So when that day comes, we're going to, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But there will be people that will want to go and be a part of your ministry. And, um, and, and you know, I have to be okay with that when that day comes because that's the kingdom. Amen? Our, our, um, our vision at Destiny is that we are a training center called to call out the potential in individuals, equip them, and then empower them, release them into ministry. So today, this is the start of, you know, just a beautiful uh, real-life example of, uh, of discipleship. And we love you, Erica. We appreciate y'all. Uh, you got anything that y'all want to say? Because she needs to get to preaching. You good? All right, give it up for Erica. Come on, can we honor God this morning for the leadership of this house? Come on, you can do better than that. These are our spiritual parents. They're just not mine. They're our spiritual parents. I've never had this before, so I'm very grateful. Amen. We're going to get right into the teaching. Pastor Rife set me up real good, and I told him last night, I'm like, Pastor Rife, um, I can't do this PowerPoint thing today. <laughs> and he said, daughter, just be free. He didn't say daughter, but he was saying, just release yourself from that. Um, so I'm just going to go in, guys. I don't have PowerPoints for you, but I promise you the next time I'm going to try to make it up to you, okay? Um, we've been talking about shapeship, and I'm going to talk to you this morning from the part portion of this message about discipleship. So family, we're going to have a conversation about discipleship. Um, Pastor Rife told us that the culture of our church as it relates to discipleship is becoming a lifelong learner. Um, a, adopting a lifestyle of learning. And each of us are in different phases of learning in our lives. But I want to submit to you, not only should we be learning, but we should be learning to lead. And so I'm in a place right now that I'm surrounded by um, a lot of learning. The environment that I'm in is educational environment with the school system. And so I'm housed there and they have this, uh, lo this uh, slogan that says, leading, learning today leading tomorrow. Learning today 
but leading tomorrow. So as disciples of Christ, as disciples of the, the kingdom, we must adopt not only am I learning, but I'm learning with purpose. I'm learning so that I can have the ability to someday lead. That may, that may look like you're leading in your own house. That may look like you're leading in your business sphere. That may look like you're leading from your, on your nine to five. But we should not just be students of the word, but we should also be able to be teachers at some point of the word. And so we're going to be talking about discipleship. Our scripture text this morning is going to come from Philippians chapter 1, verses 6. And I just want to uh, give you this, that discipleship is a journey. It is a process that takes a lifetime. It's not something that happens overnight. And this scripture text is going to speak to that. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 and 6. I want to give you the, the, the background of this text, and I also want to go there with you real quickly, um, just because I want to show you that what we did today um, was something that Paul did for his mentee, uh, Timothy, in the gospel. So, so Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, if you have it, say amen. amen. All right. It says at the beginning, if we start from the beginning, if we start from Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you, verse 2 says, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then here's verse 3. It says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. So I'm not going to go really, really deep into that, but I just want to say to this to you that Paul began to write this letter to the church at Philippi while he was in prison. So he was behind bars, he was incarcerated, and he began to write this letter of encouragement and exhortation to the church at Philippi. Now, what really spoke to me, because as I began to look at the history of the text, I said, God, this man was writing from prison. It says to me that you may be in a place of bondage, but the word of God is never bound. The scripture says that the word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So no matter where I am, if I can just speak the word over that situation, if I can just declare the word of the Lord over that problem, if I can just declare the word of the Lord over whatever it is that I'm in bondage to, then there is freedom, there is liberty because Paul was in a place of prison. He was in bondage, but he was sending out letters and he was encouraging and exhorting the church. And some of us today that we're, we're finding ourselves in a mental prison. Some of us may be in a financial prison. Some of us may, may be in a prison that we've self-sabotaged or created it for ourselves. But I declare to you that if you can find the right word for that situation, that guess what? The prison bars has to break. The doors have to come open. When I begin to declare the word of the Lord over my life, the Bible says the word of the Lord is a lamp unto my feet and it is a light unto my path. It may be dark everywhere that I'm going, but when I find myself walking with the word, then there's a light shining in the areas where there's darkness so Paul began to write to the church at Philippi he says to them he says I want you to be encouraged but then I want to go back because but as he began to write this letter Timothy was not there but he included Timothy in the letter it says that Paul and Timothy and this is how he lists himself because everybody wants a title now. Everybody wants a position now. Everybody wants to be known now. But he said, Paul and Timothy, and this is how he called himself. 
the servants of Jesus Christ. So the highest position is the position of servanthood. So he includes his mentee. And now this goes back to what Pastor Wright was saying in this, in this series when he talks about we should have fellowship with God, which is lordship, and we should have, I'm sorry, relationship with God, which is lordship, and then relationship with man, which is fellowship. And then we have uh, discipleship where we become lifelong learners. So Philip's, I'm sorry, Timothy was a, what you call, it was a friendship. It was a fellowship that he had. He was also one of his mentees, but that, re that relationship evolved. And so as he began to address the church, he included him in that letter, which simplified or showed, exemplified a level of unity. And that is what we did this morning is showing that, listen, I'm not going to come in here and, and create a level of disunity when someone has honored or someone has allowed you to have access to different areas in their, in their, in their house, different areas uh, uh, in their ministry that we have to learn that we become humble and servants and we have to submit to whatever the order is for that house and so Philip so so Timothy I'm sorry Paul is including Timothy and in what he was doing in his letter as he addressed the church to let them know that we are together we are unified and so he also as he go on he begins to encourage them and he begins to talk about discipleship and he says to them in verse 6 he said being confident now this man is writing from prison y'all he said, being confident of this very thing, what is the thing, Paul, that he which have begun a good work in you will perform it, how long? Unto the day of Jesus Christ. Discipleship is a lifelong process of learning. But it takes my willingness to commit to learning new things. And we must understand that the good work comes from who? God. I am certain that he who have begun a good work in you, he's going to complete it. He's going to finish it. He's going to continue his work in you. And how long is the work going to continue? Unto the day of Jesus Christ. In grad school, guys, I was introduced to a theory that stuck with me. This theory was entitled Existential Theory. And that just simply means that it is a school of thought or an approach to therapy that focuses on free will, self-determination, and the search for meaning. It says that with freedom, there is responsibility. So if I have liberty, I also have a responsibility to act within the parameters of guidelines, the boundaries based on that liberty that I've been given. And the Bible says, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ have made you, what, free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So the part of this theory that I want to uh, highlight is the concept of death. And so in this theory, they talk about death. They, they say these different, three different things. They said, first of all, the reality of death encourages us to make the most of opportunities and treasure the things that we have. And this is a second concept. It says a healthy awareness of death is the ultimate source of humility. And here's the one that I want to caveat a little bit. Accepting death increases the chances that people will take responsibility for living. Accepting death increases the chance that people 
will take responsibility for living. Yesterday, I sat in a funeral procession of a elder minister in whom I um, went to church in my childhood years. And I grew up with their children. Our families were intricately connected. And um, she was at one point my Sunday school teacher. And as I began to sit in that funeral procession, my mind, just childhood memories, memories began to flood my mind. And I thought about the times that my father at a young age began to disciple me in the word. I mean, I was my son's age and he began to spend countless hours with me in the scripture. And I'm like, God, I don't want to be here. And I'm saying like, look, I want to go play with the other kids. But he would say, you need the word. And so he would teach me the word, not knowing, I'm assuming, maybe he did know that the word was preparing me for a lifetime of ministry that I had no idea that I would be in. And so I was sitting there and these memories were flooding my mind. And then I also began to think about unconsciously this theory that an awareness of death or an acceptance of death increases the chances that people will take responsibility for living. So I began to ask myself two questions. The first questions I, ask, I asked myself, I said, what will people say about me when I depart this earth? And then the second question is what really what hit home. I said, what will people, what would God say to me when I meet him face to face? And it was in this place that I began to think about everything, my own journey with the Lord. I began to think about all of the hiccups in my life. I began to think about the times that he brought me out of certain situations and I went back like, like, uh, like Gomer. Or the, I thought about the times that he will pull me out of different places and I would go back like Israel, would turn their back on the Lord. And I began to think about times in, in a season of my life after divorce and I began to think about how he healed me and how he processed me. And so I began to think about those things and I said, God, today, if I was to stand before you, I want to know what would you say to me? Will you say, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord? Or will you say to me, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. And that question began to hit home and it had me take an inventory. And I found myself where I am today, repenting. But with these thoughts, I came to the conclusion that I must live life in light of eternity, which demands that I make decisions that have an eternal reward versus a temporary relief. How many of you have made that decision that there are times that the temptation, the pressures get hard, but we've got to make a decision that I'm not living for the now. I'm going to live forever somewhere, and I get to decide on this side where I will live on the other side. We get insurance policies in that, that's good. We get annuities in, that's good. But have you insured your life eternal somewhere? Have you made a decision? Have you prepared? I know what if I'm, if I'm going overnight to stay somewhere, if I'm going for a weekend on a vacation, I prepare myself. I make sure I have everything I need for that trip. But have we made a decision that I'm going to prepare for when I lead this life, that I'm going to live eternal somewhere? To not make a decision is to, to make a decision so we've got to think about where am I going to spend eternity the scripture says in Luke chapter 12 and this is all a part of discipleship the scripture says in Luke chapter 12 someone 
I'm going to let you guys get there. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. And this is an example of a person that had a lack of preparation. Their priorities were out of place. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Let me know when you guys have it. It says, someone from the crowd said to him, talking about Jesus, teacher, listen what he calls him. Tell me, my brother, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. So this implies some level of injustice. But he said to him, man, look at Jesus, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator, arbitrator over the two of you? Then he said to them, watch out and guard yourselves against every form of greed. For not even when one has an overwhelming abundance does his life consist of, nor it is derived from his possessions. Verse 16, then he told them a parable, which is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, saying, there was a rich man whose land was very fertile and productive. And he began thinking to himself, what shall I do? since I have no place large enough in which to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. Now I want you to pay attention to all of these I wills and my. I will tear down my storehouses and build larger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods there. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many good things stored up, enough for many years. Rest and relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Celebrate continually. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now, who will own all these things you have prepared? So it is for the one who continues to store up in hard possessions for himself. And is not rich, this is the Amplified Bible, in his relationship toward God. In this passage, we are invited into a teaching that Jesus is giving, but this teaching is corrective in nature. The man comes to him, the first thing he says, and I think in one version of the Bible, it, he calls him master, but in this version, it breaks it down in saying that he addressed him as a teacher. We're talking about discipleship, which is a lifestyle of learning. He addressed him as a teacher, but he began to ask him to judge a situation. And this is what the Lord showed me. He showed me that he is, is, Jesus responded in, according, in accordance with the revelation that the man had of him. He didn't say judge. He didn't call him judge. He didn't call him Lord. He said teacher. And so the man says to him, at trying to get him to judge a situation, but instead Jesus taught him because he recognized that there are more weightier things for me to resolve a conflict between you and your brother. I want you to think about eternity. I want you to think about preparing yourself for what's going to happen after you leave this earth. And so what am I saying? I'm saying to you that Jesus' teaching was that of transformation. He was a revolutionary teacher. He taught things that people didn't want to hear. He taught hard truths that made some people walk away because they felt like that uh, the things that you are saying is hard to live out. But Jesus never gives us commandment without giving us the power to walk it out the Bible says y'all can clap right there that's real good 
The Bible says that you shall receive power when? After that, the Holy Ghost have come upon you. So whenever there is a commandment, I've already equipped you to be able to respond to the command. I've already given you the ability to be able to handle the pressures of life. I've already given you the experience through me, your encounters with me, to be able to handle whatever the issue is. So I'm not going to ask you to do anything, number one, that I've not already done, and number two, that I've not empowered you to do. And so he begins to teach transformational ways. And so I wanted to know what really is the characteristics of a disciple? The characteristics of a disciple, number one, is they're a follower of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Number two, it is one that bears fruit. And number three, it is one that helps fulfill the great commission. Okay, so I'm going to go through all of them following the teachings of Jesus Christ. What exactly did Jesus teach? What did he teach? What did he talk about? While he, was on, he wasn't on this earth long, the Bible says that his ministry was only three years. And so while he was here, he began to teach, to the, teach the disciples some things so that they can be able to walk out what he taught. So they will at some point not just be learners, that they will be leaders. And so he began to teach them some things. And the first thing he taught them, he taught them about denial. Denial. What is denial? Denial is to forget oneself. It is to lose sight over one's own interests to pursue his. I'll say it again for those of you who are taking notes. Denial is to forget yourself, forget myself. And it's, it is to lose sight on your own interests so that you may gain or pursue his. Now, this is counterculture because uh, to deny ourselves in our culture is considered a form of neglect. And so if I say that I'm denying myself, it's like I'm neglecting myself because we're all about self-preservation. We're all about um, uh, pursuing uh, self-gratification, all of these things. But the Lord says, no, I don't want you to uh, deny yourself in terms of neglecting yourself, but I want you to deny yourself along the lines of pursuing me. So when you deny, when you deny yourself of something, when you deny, you're saying, God, it's not my will, but your will be done because his will is always the best will. And sometimes we can think that we have the answers or we know uh, the direction that our life uh, should go. But God says, look, I have the master plan. I know the intricate parts and the processes of your life and the way that you need to take. Job said he knows the way that I should take. And when he have tried me, I shall come forth. How? As pure gold. Because in that process, there's going to be some fire. There's going to be some things that happen in our lives in that process that is going to get heated. And God says that heat, that fire that is trying you it is the same fire that I'm going to use to purify you and so you need me to lead you so that you may know how to get out of certain situations denial Luke 9 and 23 he taught his disciples he says to them in Luke 9 and 23 he said then he said to them all whoever wants to be my disciples must what deny themselves take up their cross daily and follow me pursue me and so verse 23 in the Amplified, it says, I love this. He said, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to follow me, ask my disciple, he must deny himself, 
set aside selfish interests and take up his cross daily, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. How many is willing to do that? That's deep. We get upset about the smallest things, but there are people in third world countries that are enduring real persecution for the sake of the gospel. There are people in China that they call the underground church that they can't really go out and broadcast that they are Christians, that they are disciples of Christ because they will be beheaded or they will be killed. Are you willing to go to the extent where you are persecuted for the sake of the gospel? Have we reached to that point in our lives that it doesn't matter what my family think? It doesn't matter what my peers think. It doesn't matter what society has painted, what culture has said to be. I'm going to deny myself for the sake of following him and it doesn't matter what I feel like I'm missing out on at the end my denial of myself is going to give me great delight in him and this is what the Lord said to me he said Erica denial and delayed gratification leads to delight denial and delayed gratification leads to Delight. I've already told you what denial is, but delayed gratification is to resist the temptation of immediate reward and preference and preference for a later reward. I deny the immediate thing for something that's going to happen later. I remember a season in my life after my transition that I was wanting something so bad. I wanted a new vehicle so bad. And I wanted to prove that I can do it. I can do it. I had the wrong motives. And I began to go after this vehicle. I was trying to go and get approved and get financing to go through and everything to go through for this vehicle. And everything just began to fall apart. I mean, nothing was happening that I felt like was happening the way or the direction I wanted it to go. And so I came back and I'm like, God, what is going on? Like, I'm having a deep conversation with the Lord. Like, God, why am I not able to get approved? You said that you were going to do this, that, and the other. And he said to me these words, and it was a sobering moment for me. And you know that voice, like when God speaks to you as firm, as like, listen. He said, listen to me. He said, I will never give you anything that you will lose. And he began to give me his order. He said, this is my order. You're going to get this first. You're going to increase your income, first of all. He began to say to me, he said, then, he said, you're going to get a house. And then I will give you the vehicle. He said, this is my order for your life. And I said, wow. And so at that time, like it was sober and I began to cry and repent about me trying to go along my own way. And I said, okay, God, years later, it didn't happen, guys, the next year. Years later, the exact order that God gave me is the exact order how it happened. And I thank God that it happened that way because those of you who are in finance and know that if you get a house, if you get a car before you get a house, it's going to affect your debt to income ratio. And so I was able to get in a new vehicle, thank the Lord, exactly what I wanted, exactly what he promised years ago. But it was in his order and in his timing. The denial and delayed gratification leads to delight. I am delighted. God blessed me with the opportunity to be able to build my house from the ground up. It was his order. It wasn't anything that I ascribed for myself. It was his way of doing things. And as disciples, we're supposed to be followers and learners of Christ. 
The scripture says, says it like this in Psalm 37. The steps of a good man are directed and established by the Lord, and he delights in his way, meaning he blesses that path. There are some things in our life that God has not given you his blessings on because he's saying that is not my order. I'm not going to bless that because I'm not sanctioning it. And so we've got to be okay as disciples, as learners of Jesus, as followers of Christ, to be okay with getting his order for things, especially this year. Psalm 37 and 5 says it like this, commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall, not he might, he shall bring it to pass. So that means when I entrust him with something, he's going to make it happen. This is what it says in the Passion Translation. Give God the right to direct your life, and as you trust him along the way, you'll find he pulled it off perfectly. <laughs> he pulled it off perfectly. I couldn't have done that on my own. I couldn't have thought it up. The way he, did, way he orchestrated my life, your life, when I gave him uh, the, the right, the partnership, when I gave him uh, a yes, he began to do things his way, and his way is the best way. Another thing that Jesus taught his disciples, he taught them about love. These are his teachings. He says, um, he will say things that um, it, men will know you, that men will know that you are my, my disciples, not by how many miracles you perform. Now how well-renowned you are. He said, but by your love for one another. What is love? It is the, agape, the Greek word for love is agape here. It is the God kind of love without conditions. We have a slogan here at, De at Destiny that says, love God, love people, and prove it. So if I love you, if I love God, if I love people, there's going to be some evidence of my love for you. There's going to be something that you're going to be able to tangibly know that I love you. And so Jesus says, look, I'm getting ready to leave you guys. And I don't want you walking around thinking that you're better than this one. I don't want any competition with you guys. I want you to know, I want you to know that people are going to be looking at you. But this is the way that they're going to be able to distinguish you from the rest. By how you love, how well you love one another. Loving without conditions. Sometimes I have to speak the truth in love. Sometimes I have to have the hard conversations. But if I'm doing it in love, the end of it is going to be transformation. So he says, love God. Love, he's, I'm sorry, he says to them, I'm saying our slogan again. He said, I give you a new commandment in John chapter 13. I give you love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. People will know that you learn from me. Basically what he's saying, when you love like me. People are going to know that you learn from him, that you are a disciple when we love like him. And another thing I want to say uh, as well, um, that one of the things that Jesus taught, taught about is the kingdom. I'm watching my time here. He taught about the kingdom. And the kingdom is simply God's rule and reign in the earth. It is his mind. It is its influence in a place are a people. So when we go into a region, when we go into a place, we bring God's mind there. 
We bring his attributes there. Who is God? God is a healer. God is a deliverer. God is holy. God is faithful. And so when you encounter me, you should also encounter kingdom. If there's sickness in your body, then guess what? I've got the solution because he is a healer. If, if there's bondage in your life, I have the solution because he is a deliverer. I'm bringing his mind. I'm bringing his influence into that place. And look, this looks like us walking this out also on our jobs. It looks like I don't engage in gossip with everybody else. When they're talking about gossip, when they're talking about things that does not relate uh, to the kingdom, then I don't engage in those things because that's, that's not, I don't be influenced. I'm influencing. I'm bringing his mind into that place. And so Jesus said to his disciples in Luke chapter 9, verse 2, he says, then he sent them out on a brief journey to preach the kingdom of God and to perform healing and I forgot what translation this is, but he sent them out on a journey. And his, when he sent them out, he sent them to preach. He gave them a message. He gave them an assignment. And he said, I want you to preach the kingdom. But not only did he tell them to preach the kingdom, he told them to pray the kingdom. He said, when you pray, when they ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. We want to know how to pray like that. They're getting results. He says, when you pray, pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So he taught them to pray the kingdom. He taught them to preach the kingdom. And he also taught them to perform the kingdom. So whenever the kingdom is in, 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 in motion, because it's always moving, when the kingdom is in motion, you see the very attributes of Christ. You see Jesus moving. You see healings happening. You see people um, living out the lifestyle that Christ has ascribed for our life. You see poverty being broken in regions where the kingdom of God is being preached, proclaimed, and performed. So Jesus taught about the kingdom. And the last and final thing, I want to go back up a little further. We talked about what does it mean to be a disciple. We said that it means, the second thing it means, it means that I am one that bears fruit. John 15 and 1 says it like this. He says that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be given. Let me get there real quickly because I want to get one specifically. John chapter 15 and verse 1. It says this, I'm sorry. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he does what? He takes it away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Have you been cut back? Have God been cutting on you? Have things been happening in your life that you feel like that you're being purged? It may be because, not because you've done something wrong, Maybe you're bearing fruit. And he says, I want to increase you. I want to expand you that you may bear more fruit because to bear fruit is to be a disciple of Christ. What kind of fruit should I be bearing? The fruits of the Spirit. Now, Amy just said it. There are two different types of fruits. There is good fruit and there is bad fruit. Some of us can bear bad fruit, but it's the bad fruit is not in relationship with Christ, the Bible says that we should bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, self-control. And those things are not hard because we have Holy Spirit housed on the inside of us. So again, we have the ability to bear this fruit. So one of the things that Jesus taught, he talked about bearing fruit. 
bearing fruit. He said that you will know a tree. How? By the fruit it bears. You can't tell me you're an apple tree and you're bearing tomatoes. You can't tell me that you're an apple tree and you're bearing bananas. I'm going to know you by the fruit that you bear. I'm going to see fruit in your life. And so many times we want to buy for people who don't have proof. We, if we're going to follow as disciples, if we're going to learn, we need to learn from people who have proof. People who have spent time with the Lord. People that we can see evidence that, that there's good fruit in their lives. So again, that we go from a place of learning to leading. And finally, in my closing, one of the things that we do, we help fulfill the Great Commission. And this is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And I just want to read it in our hearing real quickly. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me, where? In heaven and in earth. And this is the commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of this world. Family, I just want to leave you with this. This as disciples of Jesus Christ, you guys can stand on your feet if you will. We have been given a commission not only to be a lifelong learner, but we have a circular dance between learning and leading. There are seasons of our life that we go through stages of maturation where God will have us to sit down and we learn from each other. And you know the hindrance of being able to learn from someone else? Pride. Feel like I know it all. You can't teach me anything. We're on the same level. I don't care who you are. There is someone that may be on your level, but they may know something that you don't know. We don't know everything. And so humility requires that I sit down and I learn from people who may be my peers. But there is something that you can teach me that I don't have.